Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Ira Thomas, who's the CEO of Lakara Diamond. She talks us through the events of the last three years in the diamond space and also her view on how they are going to win in this space with their new business plan. Uh, if you want our view of that conversation and the company itself, you can get that on cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also get company reports, uh, market expert commentary. You can get summaries of other interviews that we've done, training courses, and of course, there's a thriving community of investors who share their thoughts and ideas with each other. And if you go there now, there's a seven-day free trial. Enjoy the podcast. Ira, how are you? I am very well, thank you. How are you? I am fine. It's, you know, getting towards the end of the day here, so I've had a long day already, but you're just starting yours. You're in Vancouver. How are things in Vancouver? You know, Vancouver is uh, is not a bad place to be stuck for a long period of time, so can't complain. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's very pretty. Been there many times. Got lots of friends there. Beautiful part of the world. Uh, well, we're going to talk about Lucara Diamond, uh, Diamonds today. Um, it's a company we've not spoken to before, and we've not obviously spoken before, so I'm kind of keen to um, get into it and understand the world of diamonds just a little bit more. But before we do, can you kick off, give us a one-minute overview of Lucara Diamond? Sure. Lucara Diamond is a high-margin diamond producer that's been in production on our flagship uh, asset, the Kuroi Diamond Mine, which is situated in Botswana since 2012. And we've really become renowned for our production of very large, high-value diamonds, including some historic diamond recoveries, the Lissetti Lorona at 1,109 carats, and in fact, Botswana's largest ever diamond, the Suelo, which we recovered last year, which weighed in at 1,758 carats. Okay. Quite a history. Some, some, uh, some pretty, big, pretty big numbers there. But I think diamonds to most people is quite hard to comprehend. Okay. Because I think, you know, there's not too many diamond miners. Um, it's not too many diamond miners out there. Um, they're not really well covered, uh, and therefore, because of that lack of understanding, I think people find it very easy to kind of, you know, bypass it and move on to gold, silver, because that's easier to understand. So, can you help me with the macro component? So, um, Botswana is obviously very yeah. well known for diamond uh, manufacturing, uh, so finding diamonds in Botswana. But what, what's the what's the ecosystem for diamonds look like? People know De Beers, but thereafter, it's kind of lots of small companies, isn't it? Yeah, listen, I think the first thing you have to understand about diamonds is it, it is the only mined commodity that actually doesn't behave like a mined commodity. In other words, we are producing a product which is ultimately sold as a retail luxury good. And so, you know, what's interesting about diamonds is that if you do have a positive view on overall world GDP growth in the emerging economies like China and India uh, continuing to, to, to grow, then you, ha you have to have a positive view of diamonds. So it is a luxury product. It's not cyclical like gold or copper. Uh, and in fact, if you look at the price of your grandmother's diamond ring from 1950 and what you could fetch for it today, it would have shown a steady increase in value year over year. Okay, but talk to me about the player, players in the market. That's what fascinates me. There aren't that many 
what what is the relationship with with each other? Um, you know, who should we be looking at, and why? It's it, 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 you know because like I, said, I, I don't understand where the money's made. Okay, so there's your public company, but I've looked at your sure. share price. It's been in decline for the last three years. You've been hit hard by something that must be either the macro or the way that you run your business. So you know, the, let's start with the macro. What, what's happening out there? Yeah, well, fundamentally, diamonds have underperformed. There's no question over the last several years, and and there is a number of reasons for that. But if we talk about the macro, you have De Beers and Alrosa, which account for close to 70% of global production. And then you have the smaller players, uh, of which Lucara is uh, the largest of those. Um, so we would be you know, qualified as a mid-tier, but you're absolutely right. This is kind of a polarized uh, com- community. Um, but diamonds overall, uh, when, when you look at the universe of, of producers, you know, there's less than 25 active mines around the world. And it has been a, a commodity which um, uh, has underperformed in recent years, but the overall outlook for diamond prices is actually very healthy. And when we talk about Lucara itself, you, you've got to understand that this is a company that's been in production now for eight years. You know, we invested $200 million in total capital into Lucara between 2015 and 2018. And between 2014 and 2019, we uh, returned well in excess of that amount. In fact, we returned $271 million to our investors in the form of dividends. Okay, so this has been an extremely successful company. Uh, It is a high margin producer and we continue to be a high margin producer. Uh, The challenge has been really around uh, the performance of our peer group and what's been happening with diamond prices in the last few years, which definitely have been under pressure. There's a number of reasons for that. There's been underperformance in the midstream and and, and where diamonds are polished and manufactured. So this includes, uh, you know, India, where we've seen the demonetization of the rupee, challenges with financing uh, midstream polishers, and really, quite frankly, erosions in their margins. So that has created and introduced volatility into the supply chain, and that in turn has had an impact on on production. Uh, Compounding that, we had new production coming out of Canada in 2017 and 18, largely small diamond production which put some additional pressure. So it was kind of a perfect storm um, that conspired to to really put pressure on diamond prices. Uh, That in turn um, put a number of the smaller players into default because a lot of the smaller companies had, you know, carrying lots of debt and uh, it was challenging for them to service that debt. So we've kind of seen a number of factors playing into the overall underperformance. Lucara has been swept into that mix um, because it is a small peer group, and I think we've been tarred with the same brush. But the reality is we've uh, maintained a very strong balance sheet throughout this period. Despite the pressure on diamond prices, we continue to generate high margins. We have no debt on the balance sheet. And in fact, we've got some really exciting growth opportunities ahead of us now. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, first of all, again, just I just want a little bit more from you on the macro. So you're going to start. You've been able to sure. communicate what some of the factors which may have affected the market. You said diamonds are under pressure, have been for the last three or so yeah. years. Um, but talk to me about you talk about small diamonds, new new man, new manufacturer, new producer of small diamonds. 
from Canada. But how does that fit into industrial diamonds versus the retail diamonds se- segment? And what are the sizes of those markets? So, Sure. First of all, the industrial market is relevant to our conversation today. When we talk about natural diamond production, we're really referring to diamonds that feed into the gem market. That's Got where it. all the value. Okay. okay. Understood. And what we've seen is the pipeline, you know, prior to COVID, which of course has been the latest challenge that all of us are dealing with, but prior to COVID, we actually saw the diamond pipeline, uh, you know, start to really clean itself out. So in fact, in the fourth quarter of 2019, Lucara had one of its, <clears throat> excuse me, strongest diamond sales um, from the preceding three to five years. And so we really felt that um, we had worked through some of the, the real challenges in the pipeline and that we were setting up for a very solid uh, recovery. And of course, then in the first quarter of 2020, COVID hit. And, you know, we see COVID as an interruption of that recovery, not having uh, sent us back in, in the direction uh, you know, where we were you know, between sort of 2017 and 2019. Right. Okay. Well, maybe we should come back to that because I, I was going to ask you a question about, it, you know, even if we take out the COVID period, the trend has still been down. You know, you've recovered very quickly, but then it's sort of, the trend has been on its way back down. But maybe this, we should talk about that in a second, if we may. Just just on the macro sure. macro again, just want to, I want to get take this and be able to park it, which is... Um, with regards to the macro, there's so few players. 70% is, you know, De Beers and Co. And then you're the largest of the rest of the 30%, right? It doesn't seem to take much to go wrong to affect your market, the way that you can do business, as the way you've described it there, right? Because there's very few players. There's, and maybe that's what the, the nervousness from investors is. That they see that it just takes the slightest thing to be out of whack, which is this, uh, these, how did you describe them? The, the mid-tiers to be affected and it affects your business. So, I mean, is that is that f- a fair view yeah, I, of I your don't world? Think, no, I don't think that's a fair view. And it depends, you know, what you mean by, uh, you know, to negatively affect. As I said, Lucara has actually continued to produce and make money and generate high margins, you know, through this volatility because, we have a very special asset with a very special product. Um, you know, yes, we have seen uh, you know prices under pressure in the space from time to time. But if you go back and look at the history of this business, you know, diamonds have actually performed reasonably well. I mean, they've lagged other luxury products, which is something that we're working on. Um, but they have, in fact, been a strong, stable business for for many, many years. In, in recent years, yes, we've, we've, we've seen some wobbles, but I think what we need to come back to is kind of looking at overall global supply and global demand. And what we have seen, um, and interestingly, as we've come through COVID, is that demand has rebounded nicely, particularly in Asia. And in fact, we've seen a decent demand coming out of the United States as well. I mean, it's too early to call a trend, but the demand is there. By contrast, global diamond supply is starting to turn down. And that's because we have large maturing mines around the world, uh, mines like Argyle in Australia. We have the diamond mines in Canada, which are now maturing nearing end of life. And so in the next three to five years, the global supply picture is expected to change 
quite dramatically. And we know there's nothing coming along in that pipeline that is really going to change that. So we do expect that that natural supply demand a fundamental will shift in the favor of, of the producers and prices. Okay. So when you're talking about some wobbles, are you talking about in the market or are you talking about with your own company? No, no, I'm talking about in the market. Right. Again, our company has, has, has performed well through this period. You know, we've never been more efficient in terms of our production output. Uh, we, we've got a very strong safety record. And we're now, um, you know, building on that success and looking at expanding our mine underground, which would extend our mine life out to 2040. Okay, but if I'm a shareholder, I'm not. I'm not going to say you've been performing well for the last three years because you know it's it's nice. It's a steady decline there. And what I, what I want to get at is trying to understand what the business plan is to kind of change that, not just in terms of perception of the market, which you need to do, but just change that. Because you're saying it's all good news. We're 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 performing. We're 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 changing the metrics internally, but the market's not recognizing that. So on that basis, things it has been a difficult three years. So what's the plan to fix that? Yeah, listen, the plan to fix that is to continue to focus on the things that we can control. I can't control the market. You're right. It has been a challenging period for us as shareholders. And by the way, I'm a very large shareholder. And my view is that, um, you know, there will be a recognition that there's significant value in the diamond space, particularly right now. Uh, but we do need to see our, our peer group of companies sort out their balance sheets and get their businesses back on track. And, and that will be important in creating an environment where people feel confident investing in the diamond space. But for Lucara and, and in terms of, of what we're doing, we are going to survive this and we will be, uh, I believe, the go-to diamond company in, in the next year to, to two years as people start to think about this space for, for an investment opportunity. Okay, you spent 200 million bucks, you've returned 270 million bucks in, in the shape of dividends, um, which is fantastic, no debt, fantastic. You've got some cash on hand at the moment, but which came through in June, didn't it, with, uh, with um, was it HB, I think? Yeah, so listen, let's talk about some of the things that we've been doing. Yeah, you know, as our chairman likes to say, you know, we should never let a good crisis go to waste. And, you know, what Lucara, again, has been focused on are the things that we can control, making sure that we're operating our mine as, as efficiently as we can. But we've also been looking for ways to um, create more value. And the way that we're doing that is, is threefold. One, we've entered into this agreement with HB. This is a diamond manufacturing group out of Antwerp. And we have entered into an offtake agreement for all of our large stones. This is all diamonds greater than 10.8 carats for the remainder of the year. And this is a very innovative, groundbreaking agreement because for the first time, we are creating true alignment between the producer and the manufacturer. And, you know, quite frankly, um, I do think that's one of the problems that we faced as an industry is, is the fact that our supply chain um, is really disjointed. And each player in the supply chain really makes its money on the backs of one of the other players. And so with this HB agreement for the first time ever, um, we are not competing. Um, we are not uh, trying to, to, to get the, the, the biggest price on the rough and the manufacturers are not trying to get the cheapest price on the rough. For the first time ever, we've created alignment because now HB is buying our diamonds on the basis of their polished output and they are getting a predictable commission on that. It's a set commission, less the cost of manufacturing. So for the first time ever, we're all pulling on the same rope. 
they're motivated to get the maximum price for that for that diamond. We're motivated to get the maximum price for that diamond. So that's pretty transformational. Uh, you know, the second thing we're doing is is Clara. We haven't talked about that yet, but Lucara has a second business. Uh, it's a very important business to to Lucara. It's called Clara, and it is a digital web-based uh, rough diamond sales platform. It is the only one of its kind in the world. And it too aims to transform the supply chain and unlock value and create alignment amongst the producers and the manufacturers. Okay, I'm, I'm like I'm liking those partnerships in the sense that you're starting to build, you know, a you know, a, a chain, a net a network which you're in control of, or at least have partners who are aligned with you. Um, can I talk about the key learnings though of the past few years? So you're re- relatively new company, you know, as, as, as you've described, um, what, are, what are the key learnings around the financing? Because you, you've, you've, you've returned so much money to shareholders that without the HB money coming through in June, you'd be sitting on zero cash now. So, or you'd have had to have made other arrangements, right? So money's tight. Should you have given back so much money to shareholders? Did they need to see the money returned that quickly? Listen, I think our philosophy was, you know, the diamond business is a very small business. The assets are few. We continuously look for other diamond mining opportunities, but we also recognize that we have a very special asset. It's a very high margin asset. And identifying an accretive opportunity has been challenging. So our view was until we identified a better use of of capital, that we should be returning that capital, uh, that money to our shareholders. Once we determined that there was a really compelling opportunity in front of us in the form of underground expansion, we quickly redeployed that capital into um, you know this underground uh, option and opportunity, and, and that's something we're we're quite excited about. That's plan going forward. It is going to add potentially you know in excess of four billion dollars of revenue. Uh, to um, our our future um, balance sheet, and um, and that's our plan now. Okay, but if I'm looking at that, the, the current open pit mine it goes out to what 2026, something like that. Um, yeah. The revenue from that is, would you call it erratic, or have you got a good sense of how no. that revenue flows? Not erratic. I mean, we've been in production now for close to eight years, and we have predictably. Um, you know, recovered diamonds in excess of 10.8 carats. And, and, you know, we understand this asset extremely well. This isn't lucky. Um, This is, uh, we have a clear understanding of what this mine can do. And we have predictably produced those diamonds over eight years to the point where we've been able to achieve our, our, our revenue outlook. So, you know, what, what is important to understand here is that you know, our very large high value diamonds like the Lissetti, I have a model of which here, uh, you know, these exceptional diamonds, this one sold for in excess of $53 million, we pull out of our revenue models. We know that we're going to recover more of these, but we can't say exactly when. So we pull those out of our revenue models. And when we go out with our operating outlook in any given year, it does not include the potential of recovering one of those. Okay. And I think that's really important to understand. We are using eight years of data to um, to help us uh, predict and and you know our operating models for the mine, and we consistently achieve those targets. So uh, this is not random. Uh, this is a high-performing asset that continues to perform, and actually, with 
that's really interesting is that as we mine deeper, uh, the ore body gets richer. So the geology that's been giving us these large high value diamonds actually becomes the primary geological unit as we mine deeper in the open pit. And that's a big economic value driver in our underground. And in fact, we can now confidently say that there's more value ahead of us in Kuroi than behind us. Great. Okay. So let's talk about uh, underground. Um, what do you know with regards to the numbers? What's it going to cost you? How are you going to raise that money? So we're looking at about a $514 million capex, the vast majority of which will come out of cash flow using conservative diamond prices, uh, assuming difficult years for 2020, for 2021, and even 2022. Um, so we are looking now to put some debt on our balance sheet. And just as a reminder, we don't currently have any debt on our balance sheet. We do have a working capital facility that we dip into now and again. Um, to manage our business because our sales are lumpy throughout the year. Um, but we do expect to be able to raise $150 million towards um, that shortfall from cash flows. And that is something that we're actively working on. We've got great engagement with a number of lending institutions, and we're a long way down the path on that. Um, so that's that's kind of the opportunity for, for Lucara going forward. We are starting to spend on the underground now. We had planned to spend close to $53 million in 2020. We've necessarily scoped that back, focused on long lead items and critical path pieces, uh, but that's all going extremely well. And we um, are very optimistic that we will be able to um, basically finalize a financing plan for the remainder late in the year, Q1 at the latest. And just as a reminder, you know, 514 in CapEx, but the payback on on that investment is under 2.8 years. Okay. Uh, this is a very economic prospect um, that generates close to a, you know, a billion dollar NPV. Okay, so, um, I know you've got eight years worth of data and I think maybe we're arguing over use of the word erratic versus lumpy, which is what you've done, but tell me what, what lumpy looks like. Your sales happen at certain well, times of the year, does it? Yeah, we, we, we generally sell our diamonds through tenders four times of the year. However, one of the reasons that we've gone to the HB agreement is because it does smooth out our cash flows. So we are now shipping diamonds to HB every two weeks and getting paid for those diamonds every 60 days. So, you know, we will see how this relationship evolves for the remainder of the year. We're very optimistic. And if it goes well, then we will continue to sell this way. And that will definitely smooth out our cash flows and it has the potential for achieving superior pricing versus what we could sell these diamonds for and rough as well. So there's two big advantages. And then, of course, our minus 10.8 carat diamonds um, are being sold on Clara. And, you know, we are holding sales with Clara every two weeks. Again, um, you know, the, the idea behind Clara is that we can migrate from, you know, bi-monthly sales to weekly sales to even daily sales. But the ambition there is really uh, to bring on other producers onto the Clara platform. It's really not about our own production because we produce so few minus 10.8 carat diamonds, uh, but the opportunity for Clara is, is to, to sell other diamonds from other productions. And, and that's what we're actively working on right now with the onboarding of third-party supply. Okay, excellent. So with Clara, I know you seem to be solving a market problem than one specific to yourself, which is the less than um, the, 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 you know, the smaller diamonds. It, what, what percentage of your revenue are you forecasting that to be? Was it really, really inconsequential? 
Uh, right now, it is uh, inconsequential in the sense that we've got a five-year ramp-up plan, but our ambition with Clara in the first two years, which is where we are now, is to basically uh, you know, prove up the technology. And, and this is new technology that was developed by Clara. Um, it, it's, a, it's a matching algorithm that we've patented all around the world. And so proof of concept phase is where we're at now. Uh, it's gone extremely well. And in fact, I would say that, you know, the big silver lining for us through COVID has been Clara because Clara eliminates the need for our customers to get on a plane to go view diamonds to buy them. Clara um, allows our customers to buy diamonds sitting at their desk from wherever they are in the world. And that has been, um, uh, you know, a, a, a big you know, advantage for uh, the customer base. So we've grown from 20 customers pre-COVID. We're sitting at 70 today. We've now got um, demand that can't be met by uh, supply from Lucara alone. We have started selling third-party supply through the platform as of two weeks ago, and we've got other trials set to begin here in the coming weeks. So the real game changer for Clara will be that third-party supply, as I mentioned. Our goal is to ramp up to 10% of world global market share. And by the way, personally, I think that's that's very conservative. You know, the global diamond supply sits at between 15 and 17 billion. So our ambition is to get to one and a half billion. And if we can do that, what I can tell you is that the cash flow uh, from Clara will, will be comparable to the clash cash flows we're anticipating from our mine. So this is a very important business to us in the future. It costs us very little to run. You know, we're not at the point where we're, we're making money. It is a volume story, but we're well on track. And in fact, I would say we're, we're slightly ahead now because of COVID. Okay, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Um, like I say, maybe it's not worth so much right now, but the numbers that you paint in, in, in the future sound good. So it's a five-year runway to evaluate how this yeah. works. Because if people are sitting buying these from the desk, I imagine it's going to be some teething problems initially. I suspect, uh, and you got to work out what those are. It's, it's Who knows? Going, it's going, it's going extremely well, and and you maybe I just need to explain, you know, why it's going so well. You know, right now the way we sell diamonds, whether you're De Beers or Lucara, um, is basically the same way. You, you know, diamonds, as you rightly pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, are difficult to understand. It's a heterogeneous product. No two diamonds are alike. They all sell for different price points. So if you're a producer. How do you sell this product regularly for repeatable revenues? And the way we've overcome that problem as producers is that we basically inventory our diamonds over a certain period of time. In our case, it's, it's an entire quarter because we're a little producer. In the case of De Beers, it would be five or six weeks. And then we take that heterogeneous product and we basically categorize it based on size, color, and quality. And we create buckets or assortments of diamonds. We then force our customers to buy that entire bucket. So they don't have a choice. They can't pick one or two. They are told that they must take the entire assortment. And, and the problem with that is they then take those diamonds back to their polishing factory and determine that only a portion of those diamonds are actually applicable for their own businesses and, and the own, their own markets they, they distribute into. So you end up with a lot of goods that then go into secondary trading. So what Lucara does is it, and, and Clara specifically, is it transforms this very antiquated, inflexible, inefficient supply chain, which is a push style sales system, 
into a pole style sales system where for the first time ever, our customers can buy individual diamonds based on their own specific polished needs. And that's what's so unique about Clara. And that's why we believe it's going to be a game changer for the industry. And, and of course, that is the feedback we're getting from the 70 customers that are currently buying on Clara. They're very happy um, with the results. They're generating higher margins. We're selling our diamonds for more. And it's all because we're creating a more efficient supply chain. I like it for that reason. I've been sat in uh, Geneva airports looking at 70 million bucks worth of diamonds and being told you can have all of them or none of them. So I do understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, it, it could revolutionize and change change that side of the market. So I, I, I like that a lot. Let's come back to HB, if I, if I may. Um, how, you're giving um, Clara five years to assess. How long are you giving HB before you make a decision as to whether that's working or not? Well, listen, I mean, we entered into this agreement during COVID. It was obviously a stressful time for everyone. Um, you know, we've made a commitment to the end of the year. And that gives us the, the option of assessing and making sure that it, it's working for us. It gives us a chance to understand what the overall market is doing and, and how that's going to fit in with our ambitions um, around, you know, the underground. So I would say, you know, we're very optimistic about this agreement. We feel it is the right way to go. We think the trend, the philosophy um, makes so much more sense. Um, creating alignment within the supply chain will reduce volatility and will create a more stable marketplace. And I think that's to the benefit of everybody. So our, you know, our, our view and hope is that, that we are able to continue with that arrangement. But, you know, we have not yet made that commitment. Okay, so if I come back to the conversation about financiers, you've got to raise 514 million bucks. You think you can manage that out of, out of cash flows, but you're going to need to put some debt on the balance sheet. Are those, yeah. I know those conversations because people have come in and asked us for large sums of money. Um, and there's certain conditions which we're comfortable with and there's certain things that the company's going to have to do to change their environment, to allow that to happen. What are the conversations you're having with financiers uh, with regards to, you know, you talk about lumpy revenue, you talk about, you know, that the, the best is ahead of you. You're looking at the marketplace, it's been, been tough. Um, and look at your share price, it's, it's on the way down. So there's a lot of moving parts there for this fundraise. But well, I hope it's not on the way down. We hope that it's down and on the way up. But okay, well, uh, again, again, you know, I'm an explorer, so I have to be optimistic. <laughs> you have to be. Um, but tell me about yeah, those discussions, because they, they can't be easy. We've got a very strong business plan, and our outlook is, is necessarily conservative. You know, this is not my first rodeo, and I know what it takes to sit in front of a crusty credit committee and, and, and make them comfortable. So we have necessarily gone into this process with a very conservative outlook on diamond prices um, and hoping that we're going to, uh, you know, under promise and over deliver. And, and that's how we've always run this business. Uh, you know, we're not, um, again, we've got eight years of data to draw on. So it's really about getting comfortable with our models, which which to date, you know, our resource has performed extremely well against our models. And we can show that and we can demonstrate that. And the, and the geology is not changing. We've got this going forward. So, you know, our outlook on diamond prices is necessarily conservative, especially for 2020 and 2021, 22. Uh, we're hoping it, 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 it looks a little better. And thereafter, you know, we're, we're, aiming to get back to you know pricing that we saw sometime around 2018 which by the way is not the peak so we've taken a very conservative view 
with respect to the commodity price. And we still have a very resilient business case. And, you know, my view is that as this market starts to recover, it's going to be very apparent just what a cash machine Kuroi can, can be. It has been in the past and it, and it will be again. And as we mine deeper, we get into the, you know, into, into a higher rock value. And that in turn helps us generate more cash in support of our, our underground plans. In the meantime, we have Clara kind of um, moving alongside us, uh, which we think will start to ramp up and, and be meaningful in its own right. And we continue to look at the universe of opportunities out there with respect to industry consolidation. We do think that that will be important um, as, as kind of you know bringing interest back into the space. We need to stay stronger, more resilient companies with strong you know, strategies and plans. Okay, well tell me about this consolidation because there's not, not too many players. Um, is, is there any point in doing that? I mean, it's, it's very kind of costly exercise. The market seems quite cyclical. Uh, you're going to have to raise cash. Is that just an expensive way of doing it or should you be exploring more? Yeah, listen, we're, we're, as I said, we're focused first and foremost on our underground expansion and Clara. Those are our two kind of immediate opportunities that are, in our opinion, no brainers. Um, but we do see that, uh, you know, there is value in, in asset diversification and having more than one asset in your portfolio. And, and we, do, um, we do believe there will be a time where consolidation makes sense. You know, let's build a bigger company that has broader appeal to a, a broader investment universe um, and and one that can you know be thinking about a longer trajectory in terms of our strategic outlook so we continue to look at that universe very closely but we are also very disciplined you know we are not going to take on the another asset for this for the sense of, of growth or for the purpose of growth alone we, we it needs to be accretive and it needs to fit in with our longer term outlook okay what are the short Term things which are going to change people's minds about your ability to deliver the strategy that you've outlined me today. I mean, what, what are the quick wins for you? The things you can control. I think the quick wins are the quick wins are around the HB agreement. The quick wins are we haven't talked about today, but one uh, another uh, thing that Lucara has done, which in my view is quite groundbreaking, is that we have partnered with the world's largest leading luxury brand, Louis Vuitton on our largest diamond, the Suelo. And, uh, you know, we think that that partnership will very be very important in building awareness uh, around our company. It'll be build awareness around Botswana and natural diamonds. And of course, um, you know, when we finally polish that collection of jewelry from the Suelo, 5% of the retail proceeds will flow back into our community of interest in Botswana. So, you know, those types of partnerships we think are, are going to be important. And I think that will start to raise the profile of the company as Louis Vuitton gets back to business. You know, that diamond is now touring Asia. And um, we think that will definitely increase awareness and interest of our company. The HB agreement itself, Clara, obviously getting the financing uh, for the underground squared away, I think will be a very important milestone for our organization. And people will be, you know, I think comforted by that. Um, that we have a plan that we're able to execute on um, that will, you know, deliver uh, in, in the coming years. So I think all those pieces together uh, will be very helpful. And, and again, the great thing is, uh, and, and, and listen, as a shareholder, I'm obviously very disappointed in the share price, uh, but I'm very confident in our business and our ability to weather this storm. And, and I think there's huge 
potential um, in, in our equity valuation on, on that basis. If you, if you look at the potential cash generation that's in front of us, uh, based on eight years of, of strong performance, uh, this isn't uh, wishful thinking. We have the, the track record in the history to stand up and, and, and be very confident in our operating outlook. And I, and I think all of that is going to start to resonate. The final thing I would say is that we are getting a lot of interest now, you know, as gold is kind of catapulted, uh, we are starting to get uh, interest in our product from investors that actually want to own diamonds as, a, as an asset, as a hard asset they can stick away in the safe. And I think that's really just looking for value as, as gold is run. And, and of course, diamonds is a very concentrated form of value, um, much higher concentration than gold itself. I just don't want to say, and I'll make my last point here as well, if I may, because I know you've got a hard stop. Um, it, my observation is that some of the new ideas, the new way of looking at diamond mining seems to be coming through in your PowerPoint presentation in terms of moving you the perception of you downstream to retail with the Louis Vuitton, uh, with wholesale, with with a HB and and, and Luca, um, sorry, with Clara. Um, do you think that is something that you're consciously trying to do? We've seen it elsewhere in back in um, other commodities where they've tried to move themselves into other sectors by dint of you know what they provide into those other sectors and get a re-rate that way. Is this something that we're going to see more of from you? Listen, I think at this stage for us, it's about alignment. It's about recognizing that we need to work together um, it, within the supply chain to unlock value, uh, to foster new demand for our product. You know, we don't uh, preclude the idea of, of looking at other businesses within the value chain. Clara is, is, you know, an example of that. And so is HP. But I think, you know, we also recognize that what we do and what we know is, is, is mining and, and diamond resources. And I would say at this stage, it's about aligning ourselves with good partners to ensure that our diamonds are being transacted for the maximum possible price and that we're protecting the market and actually growing the market and increasing demand for that for, for, for that product. And I think we all have a part to play in that. Um, and, and so for us right now, it's all about alignment and, and, and looking at opportunities, you know, through the value chain, of course, as well. But that alignment is really critical. Okay, brilliant. All right, thanks for helping us understand the world of diamonds, just that little bit more. Um, like the story, some nice parts to that. Um, as things move and progress, do pick up the phone and let us know how you're getting on. Thank you. I, my pleasure. And I appreciate all of your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.